You know, I live in the Hayward Hills, and I live almost on an acre of land. And during the rainy season, the grass is so very green and so very beautiful. But when the rain stops, it doesn't take long before the grass dries up and dies. And the only thing that revives the seed, because you see the seed is still in the ground. The grass may look dead, the grass may wither, but there's seed in the ground. And the only thing that revives that seed is when we have a constant supply of rain coming down once again. And it's not even that you can just uh, water here and there, not in that kind of grass. The rain has to have a constant flow to bring forth life. And so it is with us. We need a constant supply of rain or we too are going to dry up and we could even die. Let's look at some scriptures tonight on the subject of rain. We're going to be talking tonight about he is a rain maker. We're going to look at Zechariah chapter 10. And we're going to first start off in the King James Version. We're going to jump around a little bit tonight. We're going to have a Bible study on the subject of rain, okay? So Zechariah 10 and verse 1 says this. Ask the Lord for rain. I like that. That's something I can do. I can petition God. I can ask God for the rain. It says, ask God for the rain in the time of the latter rain. And the Lord will make flashing clouds or lightnings. Another translation says, lightnings, which produces power. He will give them showers of rain, grass in the field for how many people? Everyone. And I found out that everyone is everyone. Amen. He says he makes the rain to fall on the righteous and unrighteous alike. The just and the unjust. Rain will fall because God is a just God. The message version says he is the rain maker. Praise God. I like that. I like that. He makes rain. Hosea 6. Let's turn to Hosea chapter 6. I'm going to look at verse 3. And it says here in Hosea chapter 6 verse 3. Let us know. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. And he will come to us like the rain. Like the latter and the former rain to the earth. And in the Amplified, it reads this way. Yes, let us know, recognize, be acquainted with, and understand him. Let us be zealous to know him, to appreciate, give heed to, and to cherish him. His going forth is prepared and certain as the dawn. And he will come to us as the heavy rain. I like that. As the latter rain that waters the earth. 
And so we can see that this scripture tells us that he shall come as the rain. And one thing I know is that we need an outpouring of God. Amen. We need an outpouring of God in our lives individually, in our families. We need an outpouring of God for service in our church, in our nation, in our cities, in this earth. We need a visitation of God, an outpouring of God. And God says, ask for the rain and he will come as the rain. We had a wonderful exhortation and service the uh, Sunday night when Pastor Nick was here talking about, you know, ministering to the lost. Pastor Tom did a tremendous job on Sunday morning talking about the favor of God. If you were not here, get that CD. And I'm telling you, these things work together. The lost, the favor of God, and the outpouring of his spirit. And we're going to find out how we get that. Amos chapter 4 and verse 7. And we're going to look at this in the Message Bible. It says this, yes, and I'm the one who stops the rain three months short of harvest. And I make it rain on one village, but not on another. I make it rain on one field, but not on another. And that would dry up and people would be scattered from village to village, crazed for water and never thirst, never, never quenching their thirst. In the King James, it says, never satisfied, never satisfied. You see, to have rain in your city, to have rain in your life, to have rain in your church, to have rain in the service that you bring to the Lord, you have to ask. You have to ask. And those cities that are asking are the ones that are getting the rain. Those people that are asking are the one that God is outpouring his spirit upon. So ask. You're going to hear me say it again and again and again tonight. Ask, ask for rain. So these ones were running around and they were never being quenched of their thirst. They were never satisfied. Did you know anybody like that? I mean, they're hopping around even from church to church, trying to scratch the itch that's on the inside of them, but never satisfied. Why? What says here? Because. You never got thirsty for me. You ignored me. If you're not asking, if you're not seeking, if you're not inquiring, if you're not thirsting, he will not send the rain to you. And you will have an experience as a Christian that is dry. It'll just be a form of godliness without any power. But God says, ask, and he'll come as the rain. If you're not asking, I'll tell you what, you'll be singing that song, I can't get no satisfaction. <laughs> the word satisfied means to be filled to satisfaction. I like that, don't you? Two things Proverbs 27, 20 says will not be filled. One, hell. 
to man's eyes. You will not be satisfied. You will not be filled to satisfaction if you're in hell. The other thing is man's eyes. You know, eyes like the tongue can only be controlled when yielded to the Holy Spirit. So, yes, this is a message of holiness. <laughs> Have you found out that one is never enough? <laughs> just this one time, just this one time, I'm going to do this. You see, folks, the flesh is never satisfied. I have flesh. You have flesh. Pastors have flesh. Flesh is never satisfied. And one time is never enough. It's like, I'm just going to take this one bite. I'm just going to tell this one lie. I'm just going to look this one time. It's just that one kiss or that one drink. There is a way that seemeth right into man. You can justify anything if you don't make the word of God your standard. You know, you can justify anything, but the Bible says that that way that seems right into man, it leads to a place of decay, disease, death, discouragement, despondency. Amen. That's what God said. So we got to find out what is his way. What does he have to say? What is his standard? And nothing less is acceptable. Nothing less. I remember praying a prayer when I first came back to the Lord. And I said, God, I just want to know you. I want to know what you have to say. I don't care what the Catholics, the Baptists, the Methodists, the Pentecostals. I don't care what the Lutherans have to say. I want to know what you have to say. And if you will reveal yourself unto me, I will serve you. And I will give myself to you. But if I can't believe every word in this book, then I might as well throw it in the garbage. So Holy Spirit, I'm asking you, reveal yourself to me. Reveal truth to me. And I will live by your standard. Hallelujah. Who can satisfy a thirsty soul? Only the living God. Let's look at Jeremiah. We're going to look at chapter 10. And we're going to look at verses 12 to 20 in the New King James Version. It says this. He has made the earth by his power. He has established the world by his wisdom. And he has stretched out the heavens at his discretion. And when he utters his voice, there is a multitude of of waters in the heavens. And he causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. And he makes lightnings for the rain. Remember, he's the rain maker. Not anything else, not anyone else. He's the rain maker. In Ecclesiastic chapter 11 and verse 3, it says, If the clouds are full of rain, Guess what they do? They empty themselves. They empty themselves upon the earth. When the clouds are full, it rains. Now, the last part of that verse says that he causes the vapors to ascend to the earth. Now, I thought that's interesting. 
vapors. See, there's a cycle of evaporation. How many of you learned that in science? Probably health science or something. There's a cycle of evaporation where water condenses and then it evaporates. It then, it, it's actually the process by which water is converted from its liquid form to its vapor form. So that when the clouds are full and they reach their point of saturation, rain comes down. Now, there's a process of evaporation and a cycle of prayer whereby God places and plants within you his will, his plan, and his purpose. And when you lift that up, you lift up petition, supplications, intercessions, and giving of thanks. When you lift that back up to God, the cycle continues and heaven comes down. When prayer goes up and evaporates into that spiritual cloud and that cloud is full, it lets the rain descend upon the very thing to which you sent it. That's awesome because we all have places where we need the word to be sent. Where we need the word to be made flesh in people's lives, in situations, situations that are hopeless, that only the word of God can turn around. You know, situations where against all hope, there is a supernatural hope. You know, oh Lord Jesus, I thank you that we can send up prayer. And heaven comes down. Now, when I was looking up about evaporation on the internet today, I found this out. That the rate of evaporation depends upon a couple of things. One, wind speed. Well, the higher the wind speed, the more evaporation. Well, I started thinking about that. You know that the Bible, one of the names of the Holy Spirit is wind. Did you know that? And you see, when we yield to the Holy Spirit and we yield to him in prayer, it speeds up spiritual evaporation because he knows the mind and purposes of God. And he will pray through you. He will blow them through you so that rain can come down to situations, to people, to places. I love that. So the rate of evaporation depends on wind speed. Depend on the Holy Spirit as your wind. Two, temperature. The higher the temperature, the more evaporation. You know, in the natural. Well, I started thinking about that too. Because I have a scripture that says it is the fervent, intense, on fire, heartfelt prayer that makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. So we see it's the continued, intense, heartfelt prayer that brings rain. Okay? Rain brings the visitation of God. And the visitation of God produces fruit.
See the cycle? So even if we look at in James chapter 5, verse 16, let's look at that verse in the Amplified. James 5, 16. Uh, no, James five sixteen. Praise God. I'll just go ahead and begin to read. Confess to you one another, therefore, your faults, your slips, your false steps, your offenses, your sins, and pray also for one another. I like that. The Bible is exhorting us to pray for one another, that you may be healed and restored to a spiritual tone of mind and heart. For the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power or empowerment available, dynamic in its working. See, our power source is God. Prayer brings God on the scene. Verse 17. It says, Elijah was a man, a human being, with a nature such as we have. With feelings, affections, and a constitution just like ours. And he prayed earnestly. He prayed with heartfelt prayer. Intense prayer. With faith. For it not to rain. And no rain fell on the earth for three years and six months. And then he prayed again. And the heavens did what? They supplied the rain. And the land produced its crops. It brought forth fruit it brought forth a harvest my brethren and if anyone among you strays from the truth and falls into error and another person brings him back to god see that's what prayer does standing in the gap interceding let the latter be sure that whosoever turns a sinner from his evil course will save that one soul from death and he will cover a multitude of sin. So whosoever turns a sinner in that passage of scripture, how is one going to turn? How is one going to turn through prayer, which produces empowerment prayer that gives one strength. So if you ask, The Bible says in Psalms, though their hands may not be innocent, you know, he will deliver them. He will raise them up because you asked, because you asked, because you stood in the camp, because you interceded in their behalf. God is faithful. But in order to raise them up, God needs an intercessor. He needs one to stand in the gap like Ezekiel 22 says. It says, God looked for a man to stand in the gap to make up the hedge, but he found none. You know, I started thinking about that. You know, in the Old Testament, about the hedge, explaining the hedge, you know, the hedge was a form of protection that they had around cities. Hedges and walls to fortify the cities so that the enemy could not get through and infiltrate. And there were times when uh, there were pieces of the hedge that were missing. And what they would do is they would call for one to come and to stand in the gap and to make up the hedge until they could repair the hedge, till that they secured the building, secured the city. 
And so that's what we do. We step into a place in people's life where there's a breach. And we make petition and supplication intercession for them. And we stand in the gap and we say, Lord, bring the rain into that person's life. Bring the rain into their situation. Deliver them, Lord. Help them. And I'm telling you, when you stand in that place, God begins to do something in your heart. You take on his heart. And that prayer becomes intense. Fervent. Heartfelt. And it's as if it's your own situation. And you pray and you stand until. Until you see the victory. Amen. Praise God. Why do you think God couldn't find someone to stand in the gap? Here's what I think. It's because it takes someone that's willing to lay down their life for another. It takes sacrifice. It takes the agape kind of love to stand in that place where you again cry out for heaven to rain down. It takes sacrifice to pray, take on prayer assignments, to work for heaven, to set captives free. It takes sacrifice. But you know what? There is a cause. Just look around. It's time for us to come up higher in these things, to be sober, to be serious, to do what he commands. The power to do what he commands is found in the fear of the Lord. John 15 says this, you are my friends. If you do whatever I command you, he didn't say you are my friends. If you believe that I'm the Lord, that I'm Christ. No, he said, you're my friends. If you do what I command you, let's take a look at that. Do you have it up there? John 15. We're going to look at new King James version. Is that what you got? Thank you so much. It says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. He's your friend. If you keep his commandments, what's his commandment that you love one another as he has loved us. Greater love has no man than this, that we lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants. Notice he said no longer. That implies that before he called them something else. What did he call them? He called them servants. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known unto you. I've told you. Friends of the master know what he is doing. In John Prevere's book, Drawing Near, he talks about why God would hold back friendship. And this is really what inspired this whole message. I happened to be looking at this book and it was this one page and I've just got to get the book cause I've got to read it because it's just so awesome. The things that he shares in this book drawing near and he says this about why God would hold back friendship. 
It says, this reflects what we saw in the book of Psalms. Friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. Why would God hold back friendship? I believe it is to protect us from the dangers of familiarity. Remember the sons of Aaron and the exhortation given to their father Aaron? By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. This happened again in the New Testament when a man and his wife entered the presence of a holy God with unhealthy familiarity. They died in his presence, Acts 5. Great fear came upon the church as the body of believers came into the understanding of the seriousness of the lack of reverence for God. God is to be held in reverence by those around him. He'll allow you to be his friend when you reverence and fear him because he knows that it's a place where you will be protected, where he can speak to you about secret things where he can tell you things, you know, things to come. So is he your savior, just your savior, or is he the Lord of your life? That's my question for you right now. Is he the Lord over your life? When he is the Lord of your life, you will do whatever he commands. You will obey him. Glory to God. When he is Lord over you, you're going to look ahead for direction. You're not going to look behind. Always looking behind causes you to do what? Stumble. No, you're going to look ahead because you're going to be expectant. And I think Moses was a great example of somebody that never looked back and longed for the past. And, you know, he had so many things. He had everything provided for him. He had position. He had power, he had wealth, he had a privileged life. But you know what? He didn't look back. The children of Israel, on the other hand, they continually looked back. What were they coming out of? Bondage, slavery, enslavement. But they kept looking back. So, like, what is the difference here? I'll tell you the difference. The difference is Moses had an encounter with God in the wilderness. God revealed himself to him in the wilderness. He was transformed in the wilderness. You can be transformed in the wilderness. It's a place where, you know, you do cry out for God because you're at the end of your rope. But when you're at the end of the rope, look up because that's where there's more of God and less of you. Praise God. Hallelujah. You can be transformed in the wilderness. You'll come out of that dry place and you'll make rivers in the desert. And I'm telling you what, it'll be a spring where other people can come and drink and nothing and nobody and nothing can take that away from you. It'll be gold to you. The trying of your faith is more precious than gold. So you can be changed in that place. In Exodus seven sixteen, the scripture tells us that Moses was talking, uh, taking the children of Israel really to that very place 
to the very place where he was transformed, for the ver- to the very place where he had met God, Mount Sinai. Let's look at that in the New Living Translation. Oh, no, the NIV, I'm sorry. I gave you guys the stuff. Thank you for being such a blessing up there. Um, ex- Exodus seven sixteen in the NIV, it says, Let my people go so that they can worship me. Where? In the wilderness. God wanted to transform them in the wilderness. That was not speaking of the promised land. It was speaking of the wilderness. Moses led them out of Egypt, but God wanted to get Egypt out of them. And how many of you know that requires a process, a process of time. When Moses had left Egypt and he went into the wilderness and he served as a shepherd there, it was a period of about 40 years because there was a process of time. Amen. And some things take a process of time to change habits, to change desires. You got to work at it. You got to renew your mind to it. It was God's desire that all of Israel have an encounter with God, that they come to know him, to worship him first for who he is and not just for his benefits. Seek him first, the Bible says. And all these other things shall be what? Added unto you. Seeking his benefits first, instead of seeking him first, is sort of like marrying somebody for money. No, our hearts must be this. Philippians 3.10. For my determined purpose is that I may know him that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly, and that I may be in the same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection, and that I may so share in his sufferings as to be continually transformed in spirit, into his likeness, even to his death. Praise God. Is that your heart's cry? That I may come to know him, to be intimately acquainted with him. We all yearn for intimacy. We were created for fellowship. The content of our life is made up of relationships. Without it, we're missing. We're missing so much. Exodus 3 gives us an insight into finding intimacy with God. It's, it, it's, uh, it's where Moses was standing at the burning bush. Let's look at that. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. I told you we're having Bible study tonight. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. God will get your attention. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside. Pay attention to that. I will now turn aside, underlined it, and see this great sight. Why the bush does not burn. 
And so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. We see here that Moses deliberately departed from his planned course. He, he did that so that he could respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Now, he had a flock there. He turned from his responsibility. There's a lot of things that call on us every day. Even a lot of good things. A lot of things that we're responsible for and over. But we got to turn aside. We got to turn aside. That term actually means this, to turn off. Turn off everything else. Like going into your prayer closet, closing the door, shutting out all distractions, turning to God. Now notice, it wasn't until Moses turned aside and turned off that God called his name. He was waiting for Moses to respond. He could have said something else. He could have done something else. But it wasn't until Moses responded that God said, Moses, Moses. He's waiting on us to draw near. James chapter 4 and verse 5 in the Amplified says this. Or do you suppose that the scripture is speaking to no purpose that says... The spirit whom he has caused to dwell in us yearns over us and he yearns for the spirit to be welcomed with a jealous love. God yearns for you. He yearns for your fellowship. He wants to make himself known to you. He wants to have you experience his love. He wants you to be filled with him. He wants to rain upon you. Welcome him. Invite him into your day. It's something I try to stay cognizant of at all times. Lord, I invite you into my day. I invite you into this situation. Come. Come, even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. I ask, Lord, reign. Reign in these one's lives. Oh, when we pray over you, we pray for you. We pray much for you because God has placed such a love in our hearts for you. And we pray that you come to know him. That you rise up in strength and glory. That your path is made straight. Amen. We take authority over the enemy. We plead the blood of Jesus over you. We pray for a spirit of wisdom and might that be granted unto you. We pray that you come to know the power that resides in you. We pray for your families, for your children. And we stand in the gap. Praise God. I know I need people praying for me. I'm thankful you can feel prayer. You can feel the effects of prayer. 
You know, when, when the rain's evaporating, you don't really feel that evaporation. But you feel the rain. When it comes down, you feel the rain. And you feel prayer. I'm telling you, you feel prayer. And it empowers you. It makes empowerment available to you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. In Psalms 25, 14, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. And he will show them his covenant. He will show them his ways. Israel knew his acts, but Moses knew his ways. Israel just got to see what he did, but Moses knew why he did it. In Revelations verse uh, three, uh, Revelations chapter three verse twenty, it says, "Look, I stand at the door and knock. If any of you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, and we will share a meal together as friends." I love that. He's knocking. Let him in. Amen. God desires a meaningful relationship with you. One that is hot. Not one that is cold. Not one that is lukewarm. When you are lukewarm, you have no passion. You have no passion for God or for the things of God. When you are lukewarm, God says that is not acceptable to him. He wants no part of that. He wants you to be on fire. He wants you to be impassioned with him. He's a jealous God. He has no other idols before you, he says. Idols don't speak, but God speaks. When you um, ask God, or let me just ask you this. What are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? What feeds and satisfies you? What are you intoxicated with? See, David was a man of material wealth and position. And he learned never allow these things or people to become idols. He discovered only God could satisfy his soul. You know, he, he was the one that said, my soul thirsts for the living God. He's the one that poured out his heart concerning these things. Your flesh and your soul will desire what you feed it. Remember the story about the stray cat, the cat that comes to the back door and he's meowing and he's making noise and he wants to be fed. If you don't want a cat, don't feed the cat because the cat's going to come back the next day. If you feed him, he's going to come back the next day and he's going to be meowing. He's going to be scratching. He's going to be clawing. And you've got to feed him again. And what happens? He just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and fatter and fatter and fatter. And so it is with desires. If you don't want a wrong desire, don't feed it. And so you have to cut some things off. And that's not pleasant when you cut it off. Isn't that right? I mean, you can really hear that cat at that time. He's scratching. He's scratching. He's doing everything to get back in. Don't feed the cat. If you stop feeding the cat, he'll go away. If you stop feeding bad desires, they'll go away. On the other hand, you can feed good desires. And if you want good desires to come, feed good desires. Amen? 
The scripture tells us of a time when David was out of the will of God and he was restless and he was uh, supposed to be out in battle leading the troops. But instead he was out of the will of God and he was up on his roof. You know, when you're out of the will of God, you're restless. It's like taking a bath with socks on. You're restless. You're anxious. Nothing seems to scratch that itch. So he was up there doing that. And instead of looking up to God, say, oh, God, help. He looked down. And when you look down, the devil wants you to look down because he has a trap. He has a bait just for you. He knows just how to seduce you. He knows just how to entice you. And and that was down there. There was Bathsheba. Sin knocked at the door and he opened the door. David's sin of of adultery led to murder, which led to the death of his own child. Sin leads to death. It produces death. Make sure you're feeding your hungry and thirsty soul with living water and the bread of life. If you're drinking living water, Jesus said you will never thirst again. If we want to see harvest, if we want to see fruit in our lives and in the earth, we must have rain. If we want to have rain, then we must pray. We must ask the Lord for rain. He's the rain maker. And he wants to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. That includes you. Oh, Holy Spirit, rain on me. I want you just to say that out of your heart. Holy Spirit, rain on me. Father, I pray for the blessings of God, the favor of God, the wisdom of God, the strength of God, the empowerment of God to rain down upon each and every one of us tonight. You said ask for rain in the time of the latter rain. Lord, we ask. And Lord, we believe that we receive an outpouring of you. We believe we receive a place of fellowship with you, Lord. That provokes us to be hungry. To want more. Amen. Amen. You know. Jesus said he came to seek and save those who are lost. If you're here tonight. And you've never met Jesus. You've never invited him to come into your life. To be your savior. To be the Lord of your life. The Bible says that you're in a state of being lost. But God says he has a very special gift for you. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it's a free gift. And he's just offering it to you. And he just says, here, just receive. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to pay for it. As a matter of fact, you can't. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to put X amount of dollars in the offering. No, it's a free gift. The gift of God, eternal life. God is looking around this auditorium tonight. He's seeking you out. If you are here and you've never made him your savior and your Lord, this is your opportunity to invite him into your life. 
He will come into your life. He will transform your life. And you, like Moses, will have an encounter with God. And so, with every head bowed, if you are here tonight, if you would just simply raise your hand, if you would like to receive this precious...